Better? Better. Much better. All right. Well, I wanted to, we are going to be looking at Psalm 118 tonight. So while you're turning there, I want to uh, tell you about uh, an experience that I had recently um, at my job, at, at work. Um, we had a, a meeting of all of the, um, it was managers and above meeting, right? So all of the um, the top leadership of our firm. And we had an agenda set before us. And every meeting seems to start out with what is word on the street? What is the word on the street? And what came from that is write down and then whatever you wrote down would be sent to a central screen and it would, you could see what everybody was saying. How are you feeling? How are you feeling was the question. And then note after note started popping up on the screen and pretty soon it was apparent that everybody was experiencing some kind of anguish, some kind of distress, some kind of uncertainty about COVID, about, oh, I don't know, various things. They shared things about their personal lives that were going on that added to the stress of work at the time. And you know what? That agenda completely disappeared. We spent the entire um, the entire hour and a half on why are we feeling this way? Why are we feeling this way? Um, and then we were given an assignment. You go back to your teams, each of you, and do the same thing with your team meeting this week. Ask them that question, how are you feeling? And what we want you to do as leaders of your team is to write a note like you saw and express how you're feeling so that they know you're under stress too. You're feeling anguish. You're uncertain about the future. And we got done with that meeting. I kind of sat back in my chair and I said, please don't ask me to write a note about me feeling stressed because I don't. I don't. And then the question is, why? Why don't I feel stressed? Why am I not feeling what these leaders of um, a large corporation are feeling? Um, is it just because I'm a Christian? Some of them are too. Um, have I not been in a position in the past where I felt stress? Sure, sure I have. But in thinking that through, all I could say is thank you, Lord. I thank you that um, I am your adopted son, that you love me, that you've delivered me from fear and stress um, in the past. I know you'll do it again in the future. Um, and ultimately, I don't have to be afraid of the future. 
because I know that you have provided me salvation through the Messiah, Jesus. Um, I want to thank Johnny um, for uh, the segue that you gave into this Psalm 118 tonight at the end of your message. Um, you'll reflect back, and I want you to reflect on all of Johnny's message, not just the end, right? But reflect back as, um, as we're going through this psalm, and uh, you'll see why I, I said that. And thank you. <laughs> so Psalm 118 is a psalm of thanksgiving to God for his goodness and his loving kindness. Uh, it's also a messianic psalm with references to the then-coming king who rescues us and provides salvation. Um, I have kind of a, I was going to say homework assignment, and then I decided it's not at home, it's here, so we're going to make it here work assignment. And then I thought, no, you know, it'd be really cute if you made it a here word work assignment. Is it, is it cute? Does it work? Okay. No? My own son says, not so much. All right. All right. I hope you're listening. Uh, so here work assignment <laughs> number one. And there, we're going to have another one at the end. Uh, but number one, um, this, I, I said there were references to the Messiah in Psalm 118, and I want you to listen for them. Um, I'll give you two spoiler alerts, okay? So to make it fair, I mean, let's make it fair. Uh, two spoiler alerts. If you hear something that might be quoted in the New Testament, you might have heard one of these references. Uh, hint number two is they come toward the end of the psalm. So can relax for a little while, all right? Let me kind of set the stage and give an overview of the psalm. So Psalm 118 is a part of the Egyptian Hallel, and I know we've, we've spoken about that before um, in other messages uh, that Johnny or others would have delivered. Uh, the Egyptian Hallel was sung at several different feasts, and most significantly, uh, it would have been sung at the Passover feast. Um, Psalms 113 and 14 would have been sung before the meal, and then Psalm 115 through 118 would have been sung after the meal. So as we're reading through the psalm together, just think of that, that possibly this might have been a song that Jesus and the disciples, the apostles, 11 of them now because one had left the room, that Jesus and 11 of his apostles would have sung just before exiting and walking to the east of Jerusalem over the Kidron Valley and up uh, the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. Just think about that as we're kind of reading through this psalm, particularly uh, the end of the psalm. Um, this psalm is written in a way that it could be sung, oh, Corey, you'll like this. It could be sung 
antiphonally. You like that word? I love it. So antiphonally means anti against phone voices, voices against each other. So um, what could have happened is you'll see that there could have been, let's say there's two choirs facing each other, right? One would sing the first line of each verse. The other would sing in response the second line of the verse. So it could have been sung that way. It also could have been that the choir leader would sing the first line and the people would respond um, with the second line. Um, And then let me give you kind of uh, an outline of the psalm in total. Uh, Verses 1 through 4 are a call to thanksgiving. And then verses 5 through 21, the largest section, are the psalmist's personal song of praise. But within that personal song of praise... Verses 5 through 9 are a call to trust in the Lord. Verses 10 through 14 are a call to triumph in the Lord. And verses 15 through 18 are a call to testify of the Lord. And then lastly, verses 19 through 21 are a call to transcendence in the Lord. All of that is contained within the psalmist's personal song of praise. And then there's a major shift in the psalm, and verses 22 through 27 are a corporate song of praise. Or we're going to call it a call to the truth. And then the last two verses are a renewed call to thankfulness. Okay, so instead of uh, me, because as Corey said, it's a very long psalm, instead of me reading the entire psalm, let me just read each section, and then we'll talk about that section, and then we'll move on to the next. Um, Verses 1 through 4, then, of Psalm 118 reads... Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Um, The reference to the house of Aaron would have been the priesthood. All right, so let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron or the priest say that, and then let those who fear the Lord give thanks to him because his steadfast love endures forever. Um, I'm glad that my my friend uh, Steve Summercamp is here because he will tell you that in the in the uh, class that we co-teach along with Rick Emmerich, um, 
Paul loves word studies. Paul likes to do word studies. Um, and in our class, uh, over the last two and a half years or so, we've been um, teaching through the Old Testament. And there's a particular word that came up again and again and again. And I have to tell you, um, I grew to love this word and all that it means. It's deep. It's rich. And you're going to love it because here we go. Okay. Um, it is found in every verse, right? Um, his steadfast love. And uh, Corey Dunbar, Dunbar last uh, week referred to the word loving kindness. Um, that's the word that is here, loving kindness. In Hebrew, and I hope I do this justice, the word is chesed. Is that good? Pretty good? Uh, C-H-E-S-E-D or just H-E-S-E-D, but any word. The word is chesed. And it's interpreted loving kindness. It's also interpreted mercy. Um, that word is, as I said, it's deep and meaningful. So let me just give you a few uh, specific ways in which Scripture tells us that loving God's loving kindness is shown. Uh, number one, in redemption from enemies and troubles. Number two, in preservation of life from death. Number three, in the quickening of spiritual life. And four, in redemption from sin. And five, in keeping his covenants. Redemption from enemies and troubles, preservation of life from death, the quickening of the spiritual life, redemption from sin, and in keeping God's covenants. Um, God's loving kindness is defined in Scripture as abundant, great in extent. Here's some references. It's kept for thousands. It extends to extends for 1,000 generations. It's as great as the heavens, and the earth is full of it. Great in extent. Third, it's good. Four, I love this one. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. Uh, I want you to hear what uh, Stephen Lawson writes about the everlasting nature of God's loving kindness in his book, Foundations of Grace. Uh, and he actually uh, quotes in here Matthew Henry as well. Uh, Stephen Lawson writes, The unconditional love of the Lord for his own began in eternity past when he first set his heart upon them. On his own. First set his his heart upon them being his own. Once received, it continues throughout all eternity. Of this everlasting love, Matthew Henry notes, God's mercy is better than life because it will outlive it. 
uh, to their souls, which are immortal, to them, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, from everlasting in its counsels, to everlasting in the consequences of it. In their election before the world was, and their glorification when the world shall be no more. To be sure, this steadfast love of God toward believers will endure through all ages to come. Um, steadfast love. Uh, it's just a rich, rich, beautiful word. And the psalmist here calls us to give thanks to God, number one, for he is good, and number two, for his steadfast love or his loving kindness, his chesed toward us. Um, let's move on to a call to trust in the Lord, verses five through nine. And I'll read them first. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Um, again, a smaller, a smaller word study here, the word distress means to wrap up or to tie up. It means to be in a narrow place, uh, trapped, unable to escape. It describes feeling pressure from all sides and not being able to see a way out. Have you ever felt that way? I have. I know you probably have too. <laughs> Trapped, wrapped up, tied up, pressure from all sides. But let's look at who the psalmist says can be trusted. The Lord answered when I called, therefore I can trust him. The Lord is on my side, therefore I can trust him. The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I can trust in him. But now look at who the psalmist says cannot be trusted. I cannot trust in man, and I cannot trust in princes. But my Lord, I can trust. He is my helper. He's on my side. He answers when I call. Let's move to a call to triumph in the Lord, verses 10 through 14. All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. 
I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. So the psalmist continues to describe his distress, how all the nations are surrounding him. He's surrounded on every side. He's surrounded like a a swarm of bees that are stinging. Um, I was pushed hard, and I was falling. But look at who the psalmist attributes his triumph to. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. And he repeats that three times. Not in his own strength. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. He says, the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength. The Lord has become my salvation. A call to triumph in the Lord. All right, verse is 15 through 18, a call to testify of the Lord. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. A call to testify of the Lord. We should publicly testify of the goodness of God. We should, to quote, recount the deeds of the Lord. The right hand of the Lord is powerful. The right hand of the Lord lifted me up and exalted me above my distresses. Look particularly at verse 18, though. Verse 18, the Lord has disciplined me. Sometimes, does our distress come from the fact that the Lord is disciplining us? It has in my life, I'll tell you that. You've got a glimpse of that um, if you were here and heard my testimony, Um, anguish, distress, the Lord has disciplined me. Um, But what is the purpose of God's discipline? Is it to crush us, to punish us, or is it to shape us and form us? Is it to sanctify us? It's not to crush us and destroy us. The psalmist says, he has not given me over to death. God's purpose is formative to build us up, to sanctify us and to set set us apart for himself. We should publicly testify of how God has done that in our lives. A call to transcendence, verses 19 through 21. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. 
I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. And then there's a major shift in, in this psalm. Um, you'll notice right away that we have been seeing the words I, me, my. And now you're going to hear the words our, us. This is the corporate praise. Uh, so the psalmist goes from describing his thankfulness to God for his deliverance from distress and discipline to calling the people to give thankful praise to God for the ultimate deliverance that he had long promised. As I read the next six verses, just reflect on what I said earlier, that this may have been the last song sung by Jesus and his apostles just before leaving the upper room, and then reflect on what took place the next day. You ready? Ah. Verses 22 through 27. The stone that the builders rejected the stone that the builders rejected has become this cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Did you hear the messianic references? Did you hear things that might have been quoted in the New Testament? Uh, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then, um, again, if, if this was sung at that last Passover meal that Jesus shared with his apostles, what he would have heard just a week earlier, less than a week earlier, Upon his entry into Jerusalem, what did he hear? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. What better reason could there be for us to praise God with a thankful heart than to recognize that in God's loving kindness, in his mercy, he has provided for our redemption from sin through his son. And then verses 28 and 29 are a recalled, a renewed call to worship or a call to thankfulness. 
You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures for a little while. Uh-oh, Steve, forever. Thank you. Another, another thing that we like to do in our class is to intentionally read something wrong for emphasis purposes, and then we correct ourselves and make sure everybody understands that that was just for emphasis purposes. So, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love, his loving kindness, his hesed endures forever. Um, so here comes here work assignment number two, all right? We're going to practice this antiphonal. Everybody with me? So Johnny is going to sing the first line of every verse, and then Mary Ellen is going to see how I did not pick on Corey? <laughs> I didn't think so. Um, actually, let's do it this way. I'll pretend to be the choir director, and you all can pretend to be the choir. And what we'll do is we'll go to verses 1 through 4, and I'll read the first line of each verse, and then you answer back as a choir <laughs> with the second line of the verse, and then we'll skip down to verses 28 and 29. So first, the first four verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let Israel say, Let the house of Aaron say, Let those who fear the Lord say, All right, verse 28. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Did anybody miss the main point of the psalm? Okay, I right. just wanted to make sure. This is my first time. <sighs> um, what I'd like to do then is to um, move into a time of uh, prompted or guided prayer, and um, then we will close out uh, our service. Um, Corey will, I'm sure, come and lead us in the doxology, doxa, praise. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and go to prayer. Um, what I would first uh, ask you to do is to begin to thank God for his loving kindness in your life. And then after a few minutes... I'll give you the next prompt, and we'll continue. And then at the end, I'll close us in prayer. So let's thank God 
for his loving kindness. As you continue in prayer, thank God for his deliverance from distresses. Let's also thank God for his discipline, which is designed for our sanctification. And lastly, let's thank God for the ultimate deliverance, our redemption from sin through Jesus Christ. Father, you are so, so good to us. You demonstrate your steadfast love, your loving kindness 
to us in so, so many ways. With hearts of thankfulness, we come before you and we thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the blessings that you bestow upon us day by day by day. Thank you, Father, for times of discipline when uh, you shape us, you form us, you conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that in our distresses, in the pressures of life, you are our hope. You provide deliverance. You provide a way of escape from those stresses and distresses. Father, we thank you most of all for the ultimate deliverance where you've provided redemption from sin for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we are so, so thankful. Amen.